This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. The topic of spiritual gifts is an interesting one from the standpoint there's a lot of, of confusion about spiritual gifts. What exactly they are? Uh, are they given today? Do we still have the, this miraculous ability from the Spirit? And so hopefully we'll try to answer those questions. Now in studying this, I realized it's, it's a very big and broad topic. And so I'm not going to be able to say to you everything I want to say this morning, just for time's sake. There's some things that we just had to cut out and, and not talk about. But I think we'll hit on three main points as we go along, and, and maybe this will be enough to, to uh, satisfy this, uh, this topic or at least give you the information that you need. And that, uh, let's answer the question of what are these spiritual gifts. Uh, let's look at the purpose that they served and, and why they were important when they were given. And let's answer the question, uh, are spiritual, uh, miraculous spiritual gifts given today. So that's what we'll be covering. So let's jump right in. What are spiritual gifts? And part of, of this entails just describing what they are not. And, and one of the questions that I was asked to answer in this or things that I was asked to address is let's look at the difference or contrast what is the Holy Spirit as a gift versus what are spiritual gifts. And so let's kind of do that as, as we begin our study. I want to make a note that spiritual gifts are not the comforter. They're not equal to the comforter. Now, the Holy Spirit was the comforter. The Holy Spirit served the role as the comforter. And I think Brother Matt did a fantastic job of describing what the comforter was and how the Spirit was the comforter and was given to the apostles and served the apostles to remind them of everything that Jesus said and did. They were in perfect, complete memory of everything that Jesus said and did when he was on this earth. And they relayed that message down through time. And we have what we need written down in the word of God. And that's the comforter. That's how uh, the spirit was the comforter. <clears throat> that's not spiritual gifts. And so when you read about spiritual gifts in the New Testament, we're not talking about becoming in perfect memory of everything Jesus said and did. Not the same thing. And so we need to note that now. Was the comforter a gift? Certainly the comforter was a gift. Uh, and we'll, we'll address that a little bit more later on. But spiritual gifts are not the comforter. Spiritual gifts are not baptism with the Holy Spirit. Brother Britt did a fantastic job of explaining to us what baptism of the Holy Spirit was. That it fell upon those there in, in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And that it fell on the house of Cornelius. That it fell on the Jew first to signify that Jews could receive salvation through Jesus Christ. And it fell on the Gentiles at the house of Cornelius. Also to the Greek, it fell on them there at the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And, and there was miraculous things that happened surrounding that, specifically the speaking of tongues. But it's not spiritual gifts. Now we'll notice later on there's a spiritual gift of tongue speaking. That is a spiritual gift. But what happened in Acts 2 and what happened in Acts 10 is not the same thing as spiritual gifts. So we need to understand that. 
And then we have in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39, a verse that, that we know very well that talks about receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost upon baptism. Let's just read that. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So you'll receive the Holy Ghost as a gift. You'll receive that when you repent and are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Listen to this next verse. He says, For the promise is unto you and to your children... And to all that are far off, all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so we need to examine this. Because if this is indeed spiritual gifts, miraculous spiritual gifts, then we've all been promised miraculous spiritual gifts following baptism, following our salvation. But that's not what this is talking about. And so let's look at that. What is this gift of the Holy Ghost? And, and I'm not going to get into this very deep. I'm going to leave this for, for our guys that are going to speak in, in later topics about later things. But I think it's important to address it now just so that we understand the difference between the Holy Spirit as a gift and spiritual gifts. So the gift of the Holy Ghost, was that the comforter? Was that what's being promised in Acts chapter 2? Now I want you to know the comforter was no doubt a gift of the Spirit. It was no doubt a gift of the Spirit. In fact, in the book of John, when he's talking about the Comforter there in in chapter 16, uh, excuse me, in chapter 14 in verse 16, it says that the Father was going to give the Holy Ghost as the Comforter. The Father was going to give them the Comforter. Now, is that a gift of the Holy Ghost? Certainly, that's a gift of the Holy Ghost. But it's not the gift of the Holy Ghost that's being talked about here in Acts chapter 2. And that's what we've got to wrap our heads around. It can become very confusing. But the Spirit's a very diverse thing. And we're going to notice the diversity of the Spirit as we go on through this study. The Spirit does many things. Many, many, many things. And is very diverse. And so the Spirit can be the comforter and the Spirit can be another gift. And we need, to, we need to understand that. So the Holy Ghost or the gift of the Holy Ghost is not the comforter. Not everyone that's baptized for the remission of sins, not everyone that repents and is baptized in the name of Jesus Christ receives the comforter in terms of perfect memory of everything Jesus said and did. <laughs> Sometimes I wish we could. Wouldn't that be nice? That'd be fun. But we're not promised that promise. We're promised a different gift of the Holy Ghost. Neither is the gift of the Holy Ghost baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just because you're baptized with water doesn't mean you've received baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I think Britt did a great job describing that. I'm not really going to go into that any further. That's not what's being talked about in Acts 2. Now, was that a gift? Certainly. It was a gift. It was a gift given to those people in Acts 2. It was a gift given to the house of Cornelius in Acts 10. And in fact, Acts 10 verse 45 refers to baptism of the Holy Spirit as it was poured out, the gift of the Holy Ghost. So it uses the same phrase. And so some people say, well, it uses the exact same phrase to describe baptism with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 10. But when we look at the context of those two things, we can see very clearly we're talking about two different things. The promise given in Acts chapter 2 
was to those people there, their children, and to all that were far off, even as many as the Lord our God should call. And so the promise in Acts 2 is promised to everybody that would be saved. That everybody that's saved is going to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And we know from Brit's study that not everybody that's saved is going to receive baptism of the Holy Spirit. It didn't even mean anything about salvation other than to signify that they could be saved then, that they could receive the Word of God. We've already talked about this, that the gift of the Holy Ghost is not spiritual gifts. You're not necessarily going to receive some miraculous ability upon your salvation. So what is it? It's spiritual life. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, the promise to those that were there, the promise to their children, the promise to those that were far off, even as many as the Lord our God would call, is the promise of spiritual life, life in Christ. Life that we can obtain heaven, that he looks at us and sees his son and offers salvation, gives salvation freely, and we have spiritual life. And that's what the gift of the Holy Ghost is in Acts chapter 2. I'm sure that's going to be covered in much more detail in a later study. But I wanted to get that out of the way as we begin our study. That that we're not talking about the comforter. We're not talking about baptism with the Holy Spirit. We're not talking about the gift of the Holy Ghost. We're talking about spiritual gifts. Now, I love when the Bible puts something as plainly as what Paul puts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because then we don't have to sit here and wonder about things any longer. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. Now I have a negative view towards the word ignorant. Probably because I watched Bugs Bunny and Yosemite Sam call each other ignorant names so, so much. That, that when I think about ignorant, I think, well, that means a dummy or something like that. It's not what it means. Paul just says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to be informed. I want you to be knowledgeable about spiritual gifts. The, the Corinthians had spiritual gifts. They were in possession of spiritual gifts. And Paul said, I want you to know what these things are and what these things are for and why you have these gifts. And so he begins 1 Corinthians 12 like that. Now it's interesting to me that he's going to go through 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14 in one continuous thought. And it all has to do with spiritual gifts. And he's going to end 1 Corinthians 14 by saying, if anybody wants to be ignorant, let them be ignorant. <laughs> you don't have to be uninformed, but if you want to be uninformed, be uninformed then. But here's how not to be uninformed. And he's going to cover all that information in these chapters. All right, so 1 Corinthians 12, let's continue reading there. Verse 2. Ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, this seems kind of an odd thing to say. But he wants them to know that if someone has a spiritual gift and they are speaking through the Holy Spirit, that they're not going to say Jesus is accursed. And so if somebody is saying Jesus is accursed and they're claiming they're doing that through the Holy Spirit, he said, they're not. They're not. Because nobody would say that Jesus is accursed if they have the Holy Spirit. 
And nobody's going to get up and profess that Jesus is Lord in terms of miraculously and confirming that miraculously except by the Holy Ghost. And so that's how they knew in those days. I want you to think back to those days. And, and uh, Matt touched on this uh, about they did not have the written word. They had the Old Testament. They did not have the New Testament. And so for somebody to stand up and profess that Jesus was the Lord, they needed some way to confirm what they were saying was true. And in order to confirm what they were saying was true, some kind of sign or miracle or wonder would follow that profession. And so then you would know, hey, these guys got to be telling the truth because that just doesn't normally happen. You don't see that every day. That's not an everyday normal occurrence. And so that's what Paul is saying here. He goes on. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Again, this is a very wordy verse, especially... Uh, in the King's English. So I'm going to read this to you out of the ESV, a little more modern language that we might use, and hopefully it clears that up a little bit. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7 in the ESV. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. All right, what's he saying there? There are multiple different kinds of gifts. We've already talked about the Holy Spirit as a gift. The Holy Spirit as a gift in one form to the apostles, he was the comforter. In another form, uh, he was poured out upon all flesh. He was poured out upon the Jews and he was poured out upon the Gentiles to show that salvation was available. In another form, he's, he brings about spiritual life to you and I today. He's very diverse as a gift. And then the gifts that the Spirit doles out and provides, they're very diverse as well. They're different. And so you can't just say all these things are just one. The speaking of tongues, that's a spiritual gift. But there are many, many other spiritual gifts as well. And so that's what he's saying. There are varieties of gifts. It's the same Spirit that gives every one of these gifts. The same Spirit. He says there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And so as these gifts were doled out to those in the first century, it allowed them to perform different levels of service to the church. They did different things for the church with their different gifts that they had from the Spirit. He says there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all to everyone. Listen to this. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, this, the Corinthians were beginning to have divisions. And we read about this throughout the book of, of 1 and 2 Corinthians. Excuse me. That they had divisions. They were divided over the, the rich and the poor. They were divided over the haves and the have-nots. And evidently, because of this way Paul is putting this, they were divided about who had the best gifts from the Spirit. And so he's describing to them, but he says it's all for the common good. These gifts are given for the common good, for the church as a whole to prosper and to be benefited. So we can know the Word and be established in the Word. All right. Let's continue reading. Verse 8, 1 Corinthians 12. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith 
by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse uh, or diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these things worketh that one and selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally, as he will. And I don't know why I just get the picture of a card game when I read this. And here's the Spirit, and he's just passing out gifts. And he's giving gifts to these people of the first century. And you get the gift of wisdom, and you get the gift of knowledge, and you get the gift of faith, and you get the gift of tongue speaking, and you get the gift of interpretation of tongues. And he goes through this nice little list of all these different gifts of the Spirit. And I want you to know that in the first century, these things were miraculously imparted to people. People received spiritual gifts miraculously. You would receive an utterance of wisdom without ever having studied the Word. We can gain wisdom. You and I can gain wisdom. We gain that wisdom through study of the Word. We gain that knowledge through study of the Word. They didn't have a written New Testament, and yet they had wisdom and they had knowledge, and they were given that by the Spirit. The Spirit divvied that out to them. He, he de dealt that out to them. Some people had a faith so strong. And 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in that, in that chapter, talks about it so strong they could remove mountains. And they were given that strong, strong faith miraculously. These things are easier to see that they were miraculous. When someone was healed of a sickness... They were healed of an illness. They, they couldn't walk before. Now they can walk. They couldn't hear before. Now they can hear. They couldn't see before. Now they can see. Those were gifts of healing that they were given. And then working of miracles. That's an all-encompassing thing to do anything miraculous. We have tongue, uh, the ability to distinguish between spirits, different kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of those tongues. So Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed about spiritual gifts Brothers, here's what they are. These are spiritual gifts. It's not the comforter. It's not baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's not this gift of the Holy Ghost. It's these things right here that were miraculously given. These are spiritual gifts. Now, we need to stop and we need to think about the miraculous for just a minute here. Especially this pertains to do, do these things exist today and, and uh, I really couldn't find a good place to fit this in, so I thought it fit in best right here. When we talk about what these things are, they were miraculous. They were not ordinary. You could know everything you needed to know about Jesus without ever having met Jesus or talked to Jesus. That's miraculous knowledge. That's the kind of thing they got. They could heal somebody. That's miraculous. And people want to say, and, and since I've been doing this study, I've just kind of, I don't know if my ears just tuned to that or what, but the amount of things I've heard people call miraculous or a miracle is pretty astounding. And I guess we just use that word miracle different today. There's nothing wrong with that. We use lots of words differently today than they were used in the Word of God or in the original Greek language. And maybe miracles just one of those things. Or maybe people actually think it's the Spirit miraculously working today. I don't know for sure. But I've heard chance encounters where two people just run into one another on the road and stopped and visited with one another. And in the course of that visitation, one was encouraged by the other. And they said that was a miracle. 
That they needed that encouragement and they ran into that person at the right time and it was just a miracle that that happened. Brothers and sisters, that's not a miracle. (laughs) That's not a miracle. Not in terms of what we're talking about here today. A miracle is an unusual occurrence transcending the common course of nature. It is against the laws of nature when something miraculous happens. Miraculous is occurring through the divine or supernatural intervention. A miracle is when Philip was caught away by the Spirit and then just appeared somewhere else and then encountered somebody. That's a miracle. A chance encounter on the side of the road is not a miracle. And then we talk about people, people talk about prayer. And when a a prayer is answered, that that's, that's a miracle. That someone was sick and now they're better and that's a miracle. And, and that's, that gets tough to explain sometimes. Uh, I don't want to downplay the power of prayer at all because I believe God answers prayer. And God's answers to prayer are powerful. And sometimes in our eyes, those answers to those prayers may, may be miraculous. But it's not something, some spiritual gift within you or I that we said that prayer and they got better. It's just the way God works in answering prayer. You know, I knew a guy one time got bit by a snake. A young man got bit by a snake. Hundreds of thousands of people prayed for him to get better. And you know what happened? He got better. He went to the emergency room. They administered anti-venom. He spent a few days in the hospital. He swole up like a balloon. And eventually that went away and he recovered. And he's better. He's fine. And people said that was a miracle. The realistic thing is the blessings of of prayer and people praying for him, the the marvels of modern medicine, that he was able to have that anti-venom caused him to, to get better, to recover. He was able to get the care that he needed. You know what happened to Paul when he got bit by a snake? It says that he reached in and and all the people that saw when that snake fastened onto his arm, all the natives said, that guy's going to die. They didn't have anti-venom back then. They didn't have an emergency room to go to. I'm sure prayers might have been said. I don't know. The Bible doesn't record that for us in the last chapter of the book of Acts. But you know what happened? Paul did not swell not even a little bit. Paul did not get sick. Paul did not require uh, medical attention in any way, shape, or form. A viper that should have killed him did not affect him whatsoever. That is a miracle. That is a miracle. And we could go through many, many different examples, but I want you to know something about these spiritual gifts. These spiritual gifts were miraculous. And we need to understand that. They were miraculous things. It was amazing. That they could do the things that they did. And, and you know, part of me, I'm just going to admit to you. Part of me would love to have seen that. That's why we have such a fascination, I suppose, with superhero movies. We see these people define nature. It's cool. Man, we wish we could do that. Wouldn't that be great? And I think that's where people are today when they long after these spiritual gifts. They think it's cool, they really, really want to do it, and they long after it, and they look for some way that the Scripture says that they can receive some kind of spiritual gift. And you don't have to flip too many channels to get to a a religious network and see somebody that's claiming they can do these works, that's claiming they can speak in tongues. That's probably the most common one. 
I don't know why. It seems like the Corinthians had a fascination with tongues. And, and they really wanted to do that. They really wanted to speak in tongues and interpret those tongues. And it seems like today we really have a fascination with that. We want to speak in tongues or, or the religious world wants to speak in tongues or interpret tongues. I'm telling you, if I got to pick out one of these gifts, I'd love to have that one up there at the top. The utterance of wisdom. That'd be a nice, miraculous gift to have. To not have to spend any time studying and just know what the scriptures say and know how to say it. But we don't get any of these things today. We'll, we'll talk about that further in, in miraculous form anyway. All right, let's continue going on and let's talk about the purpose. Now that we know what the gifts were, what was the purpose of those gifts? Why were they miraculously given these gifts? What possible purpose could they serve? Well, the first one was there was a necessity to bear witness of Jesus. Jesus had just come to this earth. Jesus had lived a life that was, was perfect, and Jesus had been crucified and risen from the dead. Now, most people didn't believe he was risen from the dead. They didn't believe that. They had seen the man. They had seen him live. They had seen him die. But they didn't necessarily believe that he had been risen from the dead. There was a necessity that when someone preached that he had been resurrected, that there was something that could confirm that, that could help people understand that and help people see that. And that's what these gifts did. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse number 3, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and no man say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. That's what Paul's talking about when he refers to that there. That they would bear witness of Jesus. That somebody could stand up and say, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is resurrected from the dead, and they could perform some sign or miracle and confirm that that was the truth. 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 6. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is true. The Holy Spirit bears witness of Jesus. And the way the Spirit bears witness of Jesus was to do that through giving these gifts and allowing people to confirm that what, what Jesus did, what Jesus said, that Jesus was resurrected from the grave, that those things were true. And the Spirit bore witness of him in that fashion. Second thing was there was a need to confirm the word. They didn't have a Bible that was written, a New Testament. They didn't have a written New Testament. And so when someone would stand up and proclaim the principles that you and I have studied our whole life and understand to be true, they didn't know. Especially if it was in conflict with the old law. So I just want you to think about, uh, let's, let's think about the Sabbath day, for instance. These people were used to keeping the Sabbath day if they were a Jew. They had kept the Sabbath day for their whole life up until that point. And now here's a group of people saying we should assemble on the first day of the week. And the disciples should gather on the first day of the week to break bread and to remember Jesus. Where were they getting that information? Well, the Holy Spirit was giving it to somebody to say it, but they had to somehow confirm that was the truth, somehow prove that that was what they needed to do. And so a spiritual gift was given, and a miracle was performed, or something miraculous happened, and they could confirm that that was indeed the word. Mark chapter 16 and verse 20, it says, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, and confirming the word with signs following. And so they would preach a message, and a miracle would be performed some 
way, shape, or form, and it would confirm the word. There were signs, and people would say, this must be true, and we'll follow after that. That's the way that went down in the first century. You've got to put yourself in the shoes of those people living in those days to understand the importance and the purpose and the reason of these spiritual gifts. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. It says, so the word was confirmed. The word that was spoken was confirmed unto us. And it was confirmed unto us how? By these gifts of the Holy Ghost. And so now we have a confirmed word. A word that's been confirmed with miracles and wonders and signs. And that's very important. It was extremely important to the first century church. It's important for us today that we have a word that has been confirmed. And then finally, the purpose of these gifts was to establish a unified body. The church was in its infancy. In its infancy. And in some ways, you look back to the history of that time, and it's hard to imagine how the church survived. It's just hard to imagine the level of persecution they faced from all sides. From all sides. The fact that they didn't have a written word that they could lean on and say, look here, let's turn to this chapter and this verse and let's read right here together and see that this is true. They didn't have that. And so it's amazing that they survived, but they survived in large part due to these spiritual gifts. These miraculous spiritual gifts given to them by the Holy Spirit to confirm the word, to bear witness of Jesus until they could reach such time as they were mature and they had what they needed to function on their own. I want to read several verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 12. And if you want to turn, I'm not going to put all these up on the board, but this just is continuing along in the chain of, of that chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, what we've been studying. And these verses I've used many times throughout the years to, to describe the importance of us all using our gifts, our talents to serve the church. And I think that's a fair application of it. But in context of what he's talking about, he's talking about all these diverse spiritual gifts that they had been given at Corinth. Some been given wisdom, some been given knowledge, some been given faith, some been given uh, speaking of tongues, interpretation of tongues, so on and so forth. They've been given all these gifts, and he's telling them why we're going to use these gifts. He, remember, he said it's all for the common good. We're giving these gifts to you for the common good. And then he continues on in verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and also the members of that one body being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit all are baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not of the hand, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not of the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? But now God has set members, every one of them in the body, as it had pleased him. And if, we, if they were all one member, where were the body? He goes on to say, But now, 
Are they many members, yet but one body? And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary, and these, those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon those we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness, for our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the part which lacketh. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it. Or where one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, and after that miracles, the gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. He says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret. And so he goes through this long list of the importance of people working together, of the church working together. And I'm telling you, he gave these spiritual gifts to different people not to set them apart, but for the common good. So that the whole church could function and work together and, be, and reach maturity and be a thriving church. And he said, when it's a thriving church, that's, that's what we want. That's what, that's what we want to get to. And so that was the purpose of these spiritual gifts. To help the church reach maturity. To help a church reach the point where it needed to be at to function and to supply and to edify its membership. And that's what he's going to roll into in chapter 14 when he gets there. He's going to talk about the edifying of the church, the importance that the church provide edification for its members and how to do that. All right, so now we understand what spiritual gifts are and their purpose. Let's wrap it up by asking the question, are these gifts given today? Some people think that they are. Some people long after that. Some people go to great levels to try to show that they can perform some miracle, that they can heal somebody, or that they can speak in tongues, or that they can do these things. And so we need to answer the question, are they given today? And to understand that, we need to look at a couple different things. First, we need to look at how these gifts were given and how they were received. The first way that they were given is that Jesus, even before he gave the comforter to the apostles, even before there was such a thing as baptism of the Holy Spirit that had occurred, Jesus gave these gifts to his apostles. Matthew 10 and verse number 1. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. If you skip down to verse number 7 there, he tells them, as you go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely ye have received, freely give. And so apostles had spiritual gifts, different than a comforter, different than um, baptism with the Holy Spirit, but they had these gifts. They could heal people. Now, Besides being an apostle, we also see other people performing or having these spiritual gifts. One such man was Philip. Then Philip went down in, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And when the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles 
which he did. Now look what he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Philip was not an apostle. And so we have this man, Philip, who was not an apostle performing these miracles or having these spiritual gifts. So some people say, see, you could just get that gift, go on with your business and perform healings and miracles and all kind of things. Now, how did Philip get that gift? We're not told exactly how Philip got it, but we see some evidence in these next few verses of how that most likely occurred. Acts chapter 8 and verse 14 Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. Now I wonder why they sent Peter and John down to Samaria. Philip was there. People were believing. It wasn't like he needed backup because he wasn't doing a good job preaching. He was doing a great job. People were converting to Christ. But still, when they hear that people are hearing and receiving the word of God, they send unto them Peter and John. And it says when they got there, or who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. It goes on to say, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And look what happens. They laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Philip couldn't lay his hands on someone and they received these spiritual gifts, these miraculous spiritual abilities. And so when the apostles heard that Samaria had received the word, they needed some way. Philip could preach it. He could confirm it. They were believing it. But they needed some way for this to expand further. So they sent Peter and John down there. Peter and John got down there. They laid their hands on these people, and they received spiritual gifts. They received this miraculous ability that they could go and perform these miracles and confirm the word and show and bear witness of Jesus. The apostles had to lay their hands on them. We notice something else important here in this. It gets into even more detail. Verse 18 and 19. Simon, it says, uh, was a sorcerer. And we learn about Simon through that. But Simon converts. And then, and then he, uh, he sees the apostles and their laying on of hands. And he desires that power. And it says, when Simon saw that through the laying on of the the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that whomsoever I lay my hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Simon had obeyed. Simon had more than likely been given a spiritual gift at this point. So he had been a sorcerer. He had bewitched people. He had fooled people into thinking he had miraculous power when he really didn't. Now he more than likely really does have miraculous power. However, he can't transfer that power. And that's an important thing to note. Only an apostle could transfer that power. Only the apostles, when they laid their hands on someone, could they give them these spiritual gifts that we've been talking about all morning. In Acts chapter 19, we're going to see another example of this. In Acts 19, Paul sees these uh, disciples... Uh, uh, as he travels and he asks them the question, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They answer him, we don't even know if there is a Holy Ghost. We've never heard of the Holy Ghost. And Paul says, well then how were you baptized? Because you should have been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And they said we were baptized into John's baptism. Paul explains to them the difference and that they need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are. 
And then I want you to notice what he does. In Acts chapter 19 and verse 6, And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Paul, an apostle, lays his hands on these men, and they receive a spiritual gift, the spiritual gift of tongue speaking in this instance, the spiritual gift of prophecy in this instance. And so those were the gifts that they were given, only through the laying on of Paul's hands. Romans chapter 1 verse 11 He says, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. Now, this tells us more about what spiritual gifts are because he's not just promising or or praying. He he could just pray for them to, to have peace. He could just pray for them to have comfort. He could just pray for them to have many, many different things. He said, I've got to come see you. I've got to lay my hands on you in order for you to receive that spiritual gift. I can't do it from afar. Why did that take that? I don't know. That's just part of God's plan. I don't know why they had to lay their, physically lay their hands on someone. It's just part of God's plan. But he said, I've got to see you in order to transfer that gift to you. 2 Timothy chapter 1, 6, Paul to Timothy says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. You have a gift, a spiritual gift, Because I've laid my hands on you. And so we've got to realize, if we're going to think about our gifts given today, you either had to be an apostle, or you had to have an apostle lay their hands upon you. That hasn't been able to happen in a long, long time. A long, long time. No apostles running around today, and nobody that had their hand, that that was old enough to know an apostle, and have an apostle lay their hands upon them. The next thing I want to notice about how if spiritual gifts are given today is, is this phrase that the perfect has come. There's a statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 uh, beginning in verse 8. It says, Charity never faileth, but whether there are prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. All these things are spiritual gifts, spiritual gift of prophecy, spiritual gift of tongues, spiritual gift of knowledge. He said those things will vanish away. Those things will not be needed anymore. They won't be part of our everyday normal activities as they were in the first century. They're going to vanish away. He goes on to say, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, even as I am known. When that which is perfect is come, he said, I'm going to know fully what I need to know. Right now, the Spirit, and and when I say right now, I'm talking about in the first century as Paul is writing this. He's saying, we know in part. The Spirit gives me or gave those people wisdom in part, not the full deal. And then they confirmed that wisdom. He gave them knowledge and they confirmed that. He's saying there's going to be something perfect that comes that we don't have to have the in part anymore, the partial. Some, some translations render that. When the complete comes, the partial will be done away. And the complete refers to the written word of God. And that was completed by the late first century. We've got evidence of Paul quoting Luke in the New Testament. We've got evidence of Peter calling Paul's writing scripture 
in the first century, the late first century. The complete was being put together and assembled as those gifts were being performed. And there came a time in the late first century when the word was completed. And then these things all went away. They vanished. The Bible said they were going to vanish. And they certainly did. And as we close, I want to talk to you about what he says in, at the end of 1 Corinthians 12. And that's the more excellent way. As cool as these gifts sound, as cool as it would have been to see them, as cool as it would have been to perform them, he said there's a better way. Better than the miraculous. And you and I are living in that better way. We have the better way today. And that ought to give us a lot of encouragement and, and a lot of, of comfort. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 31. He said, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. So he's went through all this information about what gifts are. And he says, I'm going to show you a better way than these gifts. Why? Because they were just getting part of the message. All this time, just part, just part, just part. He said, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. What was the more excellent way? Well, he jumps right in there and he starts to tell us about it. The very next verse goes into a new chapter, but it's the very next verse. It's about love. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I have become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. He said, if I've got all these spiritual gifts, if I've got the spiritual gift of tongue speaking so much that I could speak every tongue of men and every tongue of angels, and I don't have love, I'm nothing. Become as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, the spiritual gift of prophecy. And though I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith. So that I could remove mountains and have not charity. I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. And though I give my body to be burned and have not charity. It profiteth me, profiteth me nothing. Love is a more excellent way. A loving body of believers together that love one another that care for one another, that support one another. He said that's a more excellent way. It's better than a spiritual gift. It's better than any miracle that you could perform. It's better than any disease that you could heal. It's to love one another. It's to have charity for one another. Why? But he says because it doesn't fail. And these miracles would fail. They would vanish away. Love does not fail. Love is a more excellent way. And that's what he says there. These things fail. They fail. The next thing we see is that the, when we have the completed word, those things were going to vanish away. When that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. What's the more excellent way? It was to have the completed word. In those days, it was in part. Now you open up your Bible, you can find the answer to any question you have. You have the completed word. It's better. It's more excellent. It's a better way than having to see someone go perform a miracle. Let that sink in for a minute. As cool as miracles would be, you have something better right in your hands, the written word of God. It's better than any miracle. And we have it through the Spirit. The Spirit confirmed these things. The Spirit gave men these gifts to confirm and to lock it down. And finally, more excellent way 
is a thriving church. It's a congregation of the Lord's body that loves one another, that sticks to that completed word, and that edifies each other. And Paul continues his line of thought into 1 Corinthians 14 when he says in 14 and 12, Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Seek that you may excel. Seek that you have excellence in edification to the church. And when you have love and you lean on that complete word and you use that complete word to seek to excel in edification of the church, you have a more excellent way. A more excellent way than miracles and wonders and signs. Isn't that something? Isn't that amazing? That we have a better scenario today. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 15, How is it, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. Brothers and sisters, this is the more excellent way. We don't need spiritual gifts today in terms of the miraculous. We don't need them. We shouldn't long for them. We shouldn't desire them. Because they vanished away a long time ago. And they vanished away because they were incomplete. They were partial. You have the complete. You have the perfect. And if this church loves one another, leans on the word, and seeks to excel in edification, we have a better way. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.